0: Amen. Thank you, Patty. Well done. Well, I want to welcome you all this morning. I want to especially welcome all of the kids who are with us, uh, and that includes uh, our, our children's church age kids, um, but all the way up through our, our teenagers. I want, to tell you, I want to tell you all, kids, that I am delighted that you're here, and I consider it a privilege to be able to speak to you this morning. Uh, let's pray together before we uh, enter into our time in the Scriptures. Father God, we come to this time, uh, we sit under these words, uh, and we have come in this place, and I recognize that we do come from all kinds of different places. Lord, some of us come in here, and uh, we are filled with joy and thanksgiving uh, because, of the, because of your goodness in our lives, because things are good. Uh, life, life is comfortable. Uh, you have been blessing us. Lord, others of us come in here, and we're in quite a different place. Some of us are here in crisis. Some are here... Uh, dealing with the weight of anxiety and fear and worry. Some are here dealing with very broken bodies and uh, systemic disease that doesn't seem to stop. Lord, I recognize further that some of us are here uh, and we trust in you and we are looking for you to speak to us through these words this morning. But others of us are here and we're not sure if you're real and if you are, if you're good. Uh, And we're not sure if these words will have any benefit to our lives to the things that matter most to us. Father, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we are here uh, in joy uh, or in despair, whether we are here uh, coming in faith or dealing with all kinds of doubt, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, to be changed by you. Would you open our eyes and show us how you are at work in the person of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Great to be with you. We are in our sermon series that we're calling A Sinner After God's Own Heart, which is concerned primarily with the life of David. And I've been spending a lot of time uh, introducing to you uh, the coming about of David by way of Saul. And today will be my last sermon uh, on the person of Saul. This is this passage as indicates uh, really leads right up until the point that he will. Uh, Be no more in the next chapter. This will be my last sermon to you on Saul. And I want to remind you and tell you, for those of you who are here for the first time, uh, and to remind particularly the kids uh, of my mission that I want to accomplish this morning, that I want to contribute to to some degree this morning, right? And and if you've been coming for a long time, you've heard me say this a thousand times, but I'll say it again that my goal for you kids, right, my goal for, for, for each and every one of you is that you would leave here more enjoying the Lord, more filled with his spirit, more delighting in him, more at ease in him than when you first came in the room, right? That's what I want. And I'll I'll tell you, kids, you know, those of you, I I know that uh, kids, as you are getting older, particularly, I'm going to talk a lot to the teens here this morning, the middle school kids, the tweens, right? I know, I want to be honest with you, I know that you guys are skeptical of what I have to say to some degree, right? And I'll, you know, Some of you adults are skeptical as well, right? And you're asking the question, is God real, and is he worth my time, right? And I want to tell you that, you know, my goal in our passage this morning is to attempt to persuade you that the answer to both of those questions is yes, right? And so you might be here, though, and you might say, well, you know, Pastor Darren, I I don't feel like coming to church has resulted in an increase of joy in me. I don't feel like it's done that. Right? I don't feel like it's doing that. And that's a, I, I appreciate if you're in that place this morning. I have been in that place myself. right? Uh, I appreciate if you're in that place. And the question that I'm asking, that this passage is asking, is what is, what is one thing that will result in a decrease of joy? Right? What, is the, what is the opposite of my mission? What, what will result in a decrease of joy right, that might be happening in your life and how, I, how might we seek to address it? And the thing that uh, this passage is really, I think, predominantly concerned with uh, in answer to that question, the thing that will result in a decrease of joy, the, the reason that you might be disinterested this morning sitting there, right, the reason might be is that you have only experienced the silence of God, right, the silence of God. And kids, this is actually our first drawing. What I want you to do is draw a picture of yourself With your hand over your nose. Okay? Just do that. Just draw a picture of yourself with your hand over your mouth. Right? If I try to preach this way, it's not going to work. Who wants me to preach this way the rest of the sermon? Right? 50,000 and I'll do it. (laughs) No, just kidding. Not for sale. Um, So, yeah, if one reason, I'll tell you, kids, adults, right? All y'all, one reason that you might be disinterested this morning is that you've not experienced the voice of God. I was talking to someone recently who was actually just would describe themselves as precisely being in this place. And they would say, you know, God is irrelevant to me, right? I, I don't, I, to be honest with you, like, I just don't feel like God is relevant to me at all. And then crisis smacks into their life like a Mack truck so the person then says well you know I've started to pray and I said okay well tell me about that and the person says well I basically have been yelling at God for messing with my life right and so you know I said what do you think what do you think pastor said to that right I said that is great I'm so happy I have been praying that you would start praying for a long time, and here you are. This is great. I said, maybe you'll take the next step. What's the next step? So, And again, if you're here and you're saying, you know what, God is irrelevant to me, but then crisis smacks into your life like a Mack truck, right? your you're little old Darren in a Mack truck just comes and flattens you to the ground, and you say, fine, I will start praying. I'll start telling God how angry I am. What's the next step beyond that, right? Next step is to start listening to God. But I challenge this person? I said, you know, okay, so you've started to pray. Awesome. Really happy about that. Next step for you is to start to listen to God, right? Because uh, we, we talk to God in prayer, and then He will respond to us if we have ears to hear. Jesus would say that a lot. So, that is really my goal for you this morning, and this is true whether you're here as a Christian or whether you're here as a skeptic, whether you're here, you know, as a small child who's like, man, I really wish I was in children's church, but there's going to be an awesome prize afterwards if I do this thing, or if you're here and you've been walking as a Christian for 50 years, I want to tell you, right, what I'm, what I'm interested in, what I'm after this morning is for you to experience the words of God For you not to experience a silence because it is the silence of God uh, that will rob you of your joy and ultimately uh, lead you to destruction. So that's what I want to kind of walk through this passage. It's really the main theme of this passage. I want to walk through the unraveling of Saul's life to try to make some observations about what happens uh, when a heart becomes so hardened that all that's left in a person's life is the silence of God. Right? You know, because God is always at work. He's always speaking. His scriptures always are active and living sharper than any two-edged sword. But there are times when it feels like a deafening silence. Uh, And this passage really indicates that that silence really sourced from the hardness of Saul's heart and the ways that he walked away from the Lord. So I just want to walk through that here briefly with you this morning. So let's get into it together. So here's Saul. Uh, just to catch you up, uh, Saul, uh, as was made reference in this passage, uh, he does not trust in God. He does not obey God. And a couple chapters ago, a few chapters ago, the prophet Samuel says to him, "You're you're no longer king of Israel. You're not going to be king. God is taking the kingdom from you, and He's ripping it apart like a garment, right? Like the like the veil of the temple was writ, torn in two. God is." God is wresting this out of your hands. He's taking it by force. And Samuel, in the excuse me, Saul, in the hardness of his heart, he goes on and continues as though nothing has changed. Right? He, he goes in complete pride and arrogance and he says, I'm going to continue to be king. I'm, you know, no one's going to take this from me. Uh, and he goes on his way. And we come to this passage where and this is, by the way, is what happens, right? When you have a hard heart and you walk from God, you know what will eventually happen? It might take a week, it might take a month, it might take 20 years. You know what will happen? There will come a time where you will find yourself paralyzed by fear, right? That's what Saul experiences here. He, you know, he's going on his way, he's enjoying the riches of, of office and he's, in, he's doing his thing and then all of a sudden, the Philistines, verse 4, assembled and came and camped at Shunem, and uh, Saul gathers all Israel, and when he sees the army of the Philistines, what does it say? He was afraid, and he trembled greatly. And friends, I want to tell you that this is, this is actually an interesting dynamic to me. So Saul has really turned away from God, and, and his, his turning has really become final, but what's interesting is, right, you might, you might have actually done this yourself, some of you, right? But what's interesting about Saul is that he has this weird mixture of living like an agnostic and living like someone who believes in God, doesn't he? Right? Hey, we have this whole other group outside. Hey, folks, great to have you. I don't know if this is going to feed back. We'll find out, right? This is like a whole new community out here. So what's happening is that Saul has effectively rejected God. He's turned away from him, but he still believes in him to a degree, right? If you notice, he says, uh, he, he says God doesn't answer me anymore. It's not like he doesn't think God is real. He says, God doesn't answer me by Urim and Thummim, and that was a way that folks would seek the Lord. Uh, they would seek the priest out, and the priest would have... Uh, these ways of interpreting God's answer to him. God would speak through Samuel. Samuel, of course, had died. So he doesn't answer him that way. He said he doesn't answer me by dreams, something else that would happen back then. So he's, he's rejected God, but he still believes in him. It's an interesting dynamic. Um, and what's further interesting is that here's a guy who kind of believes in God, but's kind of rejected him. He says, I can't take God's silence. I can't handle that because... I am facing a foe that is going to annihilate us, and is going to bring absolute devastation to me and to our nation, and I'm completely and utterly on my own. I'm completely and utterly on my own. And so, kids, I want you to actually draw the next drawing here. What I want you to do is draw a picture of yourself trying to put back something to, in your, together and something in your house that broke, right? Has anyone here broken something in their house? All right, here's the next question, kids. Have any of you broken something important that your parents don't know was actually broken? Who's gonna admit about that? I, you know, I can remember, I was actually thinking about this this morning. I can remember when I was really young, there was a babysitter in our neighborhood that we absolutely loved because he would just do the most wild things with us. And one time we were like dancing on uh, like an end table and the end table just snapped apart and the babysitter got out like a hammer and some nails and like fixed it, you know. And I remember just being so captivated by, captivated by that and, um, you know, we, just, uh, would just, we would just beg for him to come and watch us, right? So sometimes you try to put back together something in your house that broke, right? And a couple of you are particularly impressive and you've been successful or at least so you think, right? Maybe, maybe your parents know and they just don't care. Right? But a lot of the times, when you try to put to something together that broke, if you don't have the right tools, if you don't have the right skill, right, it's not going to happen. Right? So if someone breaks Chris's guitar and smashes it, which we're not going to do, Chris, I promise. Right? I will never let that happen on my watch. Um, right? If we just it pulled a Jimi Hendrix and just sort of lit it on fire, right? like, there's not, like there's nothing that I, I can do to put that back together. Right? I don't possess the skills, and it would be futile to try. So what's, what we have to understand is that here Saul, he's abandoned God. He says, I don't want God anymore. And then he, as, as life is, is frequently the case, he comes up against a crisis that is absolutely overwhelming. And what does he try to do? He's like Darren trying to put back together Chris's guitar after it's been lit on fire and smashed on the ground. It's like, look, you know, I'm just going gonna, gonna to put these pieces back together. I'm going to get out some sandpaper you know, some glue, and he'll never know the difference, right? It's absolutely ridiculous. So, what does Saul do to try to put back together the things that are broken? Well, this is, this is actually something that I, I found to be really fascinating in the way that this story goes. So, here's Saul. He's rejected God, but he still uses the language of God, and God's not answering him. So, what does he do? He seeks out what's called a necromancer. Any of the kids ever heard of necromancy? Very, wow, very good. What is necromancy, do you know? Tell tell me what it is. Oh, you don't know what it is. You know about it. You know what it is? Go ahead, buddy. It's, whose child is this? Let us celebrate them. This is, I mean, Ben, we, we. Yeah, <laughs> Ben is not, so, so it's like a dark magic where you raise people, where you try to access the dead, right? Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, yeah, that's what you was going to say. Good job, <laughs> right? It's like a dark magic where you try to access the dead, all right? Now, um, you know, one of the, re- some, you know, there was a joke made earlier in the service that, like, you know, we had to have Darren preach a Doodle Sunday because the Doodle Sundays have just been, like, so... Like a little bit not PG or PG, whatever the rating is supposed to be. (laughs) No offense, Sam. We love you. The kids love you. But you know, people. You know, the staff is like, Darren, can we just preach like a like a sermon that we don't have to like email the parents ahead of time about? And I was like, sure, we'll do necromancy. (laughs) But actually, I did it on purpose, right? Why is that? Why did I do it on purpose? The reason is, right, and the high schoolers know this already, I think. You guys can tell me from I'm wrong. Jared, you can tell me from I'm wrong here. I was told by a good source that uh, in our high schools, right, in middle schools, that things like tarot cards and astrology have made a big comeback. Is that right? Kind of? Kind of right, right? Tarot cards, astrology, right, has made a big comeback. And, you know, I was, I was sharing with someone last night about this, and the person, you know, I said, you know, isn't this interesting that, you know, here we are in a, in a moment in our culture where we said, you know, God's not real. We've got science. Science is all we need. You know, we're rational beings. You know, Frederick Nietzsche's vision of God being dead has happened. You, you would expect life to be only rational, right? That reason is everything. But instead, what do we find? The culture is moving in a different direction saying, we need, we need to access special secret knowledge by way of what's basically paganism, right? And, and I want to tell you, kids, right, if you haven't experienced this yet, according to our expert here, you will experience it kind of at least, right? This is, this is, this is the, the world in which we live, right? And one of the things that captivated me about Phoenixville when we planted the church uh, back in 2011 is that Phoenixville is known for having actually a particularly active community of folks who identify as pagan, Right, who practice witchcraft and um, who are into to these kind of dark things. And here we have Saul who previously had, had basically kicked out the necromancers out of the land, right? That's a big point of this discussion. He takes those people who practice these things and he puts them out of the land and then he says, all right, now I want to become a customer, right? Now I want to become a customer. And this is sort of what I think happens when you walk away from God, right? You still kind of believe in him, but then you start to combine it with, with other things, right? That's what he does. He, he doesn't believe in God, but he will still reference God, right? He will still seek God's help in a way, but then he'll start to, to combine it with pagan, magic, dark things, But the story gets more interesting from there, right? And by the way, this is, as we said to the kids, right? This is him uh, trying to put back together the things that are broken. And kids, what I want you to do next is draw a picture uh, of a hand holding a piece of paper that is beginning to tear, right? And this is that illustration of the kingdom being taken from him or torn from him. You know, Saul is trying to put it back together. And, you know, even paper is hard to restore, right, to its original its original form. So what does Saul do? Well, he seeks out this woman, and I want to just help you appreciate the greater context of what's happening. So Saul has previously banned the necromancers from the land, and, you know, if you're not familiar with the the geography of where these events are taking place, Saul has to actually go past where the enemy is encamped in order to access this woman at Endor, right? So where he's, where he's, Experiencing this fear, and where he has to go to get to this woman, he's got to go past where the enemy is, right? So he disguises himself, both for the sake of, you know, successfully becoming a customer of this woman's, right? But he also has to disguise himself because he's going to go past where the enemy is, right? And it gives you insight as to how desperate he is, right? He's willing to access the the mediums and the dark magic people that he previously kicked out. Um, and he's willing to go even past the enemy in order to do it. He is more desperate than he has ever been in his entire life. So what does he do? Well, he goes uh, and he seeks, to, he seeks to basically deceive this woman in order to access her abilities. And this is where, again, I think it's so interesting because the way that the Scripture presents this passage is the woman is, is not eager to offer him her services, isn't she? Right, so here she has you know, these abilities and he wants to become a customer and she's been basically uh, made an outlaw of sorts. They've been put out of the land but they know that there's still this one Endor. So he goes there and he says, I wanna be your customer. And she says, you are trying to kill me? I'm not doing that. I don't do that anymore. Do you realize that people that do that, that Saul himself, says will be put to death. And, and you, what does Saul respond? If you look at the passage, how does he respond? Right? And again, this is where I think the dynamic of the human soul gets so interesting. How does Saul respond to her concern? Look in the text. What does he say? He says, as the Lord lives, I promise you, you'll be fine. Right? He he references the holy covenant name of God. If you look in your ESV version, you'll see it's all caps, right? That's the covenant most sacred name. He calls to witness the name of God to bear, to bear witness to the deception that he's created, that he's seeking in order to access this black magic, dark necromancy, demonic stuff, Right? And I want you to appreciate this is how divided the human soul gets when it walks away from God, isn't it? Right. Here he is. He, you know, he doesn't even need to be reminded about God by someone else. God is always on his mind, right? And it's interesting, by the way. You know, we, I, I was thinking about this. Um, you know, it's an off. It's a. It's a common kind of response to folks. who say, I don't believe in any God. You know, and you know, and then eventually something will happen that will cause them to basically yell at God. And the, the, the answer, of course, is, well, why are you yelling at someone you don't believe in? Right? What sense does that make? Why are you yelling at someone you don't believe in? Right, and, I, and again, I challenge you this morning, if you're here and you say, I don't believe in God, you know, this is ridiculous, I'm an enlightened person. Right? Well, then I would ask the question, well, are you mad at him? Right? Because if you're mad at him, how can you be mad at something that's not real? Right? That doesn't make, that's not rational either. So here's Saul, and he doesn't need to be told about God. God is always on his mind. Um, God is, is on his mind while he's seeking to do the things that God uh, has expressly forbidden. And ne- this is where it gets really weird, right? Does anyone else find this passage weird, right? This is where it gets really weird because Saul seeks out the dark arts. He seeks out the magic, right? And he seeks to, u- to basically ask this woman to use her powers to bring Samuel up, right, which Samuel speaks for God, so that's kind of weird. And what's shocking to the reader is that it seems to work, isn't it? Now, uh, if, if you're a student of church history, you know that this passage actually has a lot of discussion in church history. Tertullian, Calvin, Luther, basically all read this passage and want to say, okay, this didn't actually happen. This wasn't real because it's impossible for, you know, it's impossible for, like, a black magic witch to summon someone who was, like, walking with God. Like, that can't happen, right? That's what church history smart people have said for a long time. But I want to tell you that, you know, I, I don't really... I have a bit of a problem with that. Why? Why do I have a problem with that? Well, a couple of reasons, right? First of all, the narrator says and Samuel said, the narrator doesn't say, the person pretending to to be Samuel said, the narrator says, and this is the narrator, inspired of God says, no, Samuel answered Saul, right? And then Samuel didn't just answer Saul, but he quotes what he himself had previously said to Saul a few chapters back. So what he said was actually accurate. So here's Samuel, narrator says it is Samuel, and then the things that he has to say are actually authentic. So when I, when I read that, I say, oh, I don't think this was a mirage. I think this was actually Samuel. So this is where actually most, you, you know, don't worry. Darren is not drifting into heresy, I don't think. Right? You can tell me if you think I am. Right? Mo, uh, so in the modern commentaries, um, you know, the mod, one of the commentaries I consulted, he said, look, all of the modern scholars are kind of like seeing this point and are acknowledging that we think this was like an authentic experience. So how do we explain that? And the explanations that the commentators give is they say, well, basically the woman practiced this dark magic, which by the way, I do think has some actual manifestations, but not in being able to summon and, you know, someone like Samuel. And the woman, if you look in the text, she is shocked when Samuel appears. Like, she's not expecting that. She's like, all right, sure, I'll, you know, let me process your request. I'll just do my thing. And she's like, holy smokes, right? This man that looks like a god comes up out of the ground and and is, you know, why are you disturbing me? And she is shocked, and she realizes that this is Saul, right? And the, the whole ruse has been foiled. And so the commentators are saying, look, this is real, but it's not real because of her power it's real because God chose to accomplish it in the midst of this uh, encounter. That, that's basically the explanation for it. But kids, I do want to tell you, though, I do want to tell you that um, the, the dark magic, astrology, um, tarot cards, seances, I want to tell you that the Bible is, per, is particularly concerned about them, right? There's a reason Saul kicked out these people out of the land, And we don't believe that you can access a dead person in this way, but we do believe that you can invite the activity of Satan into your life. And I have seen it happen. And I I want to tell you that, you know, as you live in this world that is becoming increasingly pagan, uh, don't don't play with fire. Right? It does not end well for Saul, and it won't end well for you either. Right? So that is an exhortation I want to give you. So, okay. So where are we? So Saul brings up Samuel and um, desperate to hear what Samuel has to say, Uh, and what does Samuel have to say, right? Basically, the same thing that he said before, right? Which, by the way, is one of the reasons why we don't really believe in, like, seeking to know God through dreams and and this sort of thing. I once had someone come to me and said, Darren, I had a dream that Jesus was telling me that, you know, all of these bad things about myself, and I said, well, does the Bible say that? And he said, well, no, and I said, well, Okay, so that wasn't Jesus, was it then, right? If Jesus is going to tell you something in a dream, the Bible says, like, what's the point? You have the Bible. If Jesus tells you something in a dream that's not what the Bible says, well, it's probably not Jesus, right? Um, But here is Saul, he's desperate to get a word from the Lord, and he gets one. He gets a a repetition of the word that happened a few chapters back. God says, all right, fine. Samuel says, fine. You've, You've gone through all this trouble to conjure me up. I'll simply repeat I'll simply repeat to you what I said before, except I'll add one detail. Remember how I said that God has taken the kingdom and is is ripping it out of your hands? Well, it's actually going to happen tomorrow, right? You're you're going to, you're going to, he says, you're going to join me tomorrow. You're going to breathe your last breath tomorrow when the Philistines not just overtake you, but they overtake the army of Israel as well. And friends, this is another point that I want to bring to your attention, right? Uh, understand this, and, this and, and I want you kids to understand this as well, right? When you have a hard heart, when you walk away from God, it doesn't just affect you, but it actually affects other people as well, right? Here's Saul, and he's, he's going on his way. He's doing his thing. He's uh, moving in his direction. And who suffers? Well, he suffers, yes. The nation suffers too, right? It says that the army of Israel uh, would be slaughtered by their enemies, right? And uh, if we turn the page, we'll see that that, of course, does, in fact, happen. And what's going on here? Well, what's going on here is uh, there's this language uh, that's used where Samuel says, he said, God has become your enemy, right? God has become your enemy. This language is actually kind of repeated in uh, the New Testament letter of James, where James is warning Christians kind of similarly to to some of the stuff that Saul is involved with. And he says, you know, don't let yourself stay in a state of pride. Why? Because God opposes the proud. And and friends and, and, you know, kids, friends, senior saints, I want to plead with you this morning that if you allow yourself to stay in a place of pride, Right? The scripture, the holy scripture says to you, God is against you. God will actively work against you. And I'll tell you, there is no greater fear I have in my life, there's no worse news that I can imagine hearing than God himself saying, Darren, I'm against you right now. I oppose you, right? You think you're going to go build your own life, build your kingdom, do you know, your list of things for you and, and your family, like, I just want you to know that I have chosen to work against you. That's what God says to Saul. He says, Saul, you can strive, right? You can, you can contend with your creator, but he's going to work against you. He's going to use his unlimited resources to oppose you. And uh, the passage will, uh, will continue, and, and Saul will meet his maker that next day. The Philistines will overtake him, and he will meet his maker that next day. And so, uh, this is really a warning to us. It's a warning to us to turn back to God. It's a warning to us against the dark arts, against flirting with evil, against acting out of desperation uh, because we've turned away from God and we no longer hear his voice. It's a warning to us to say, seek the Lord while he may be found, It's a warning to say, make your prayer today, right? Make your prayer today to say, God, give me ears to hear. Give me eyes to see. Let me not be proud and arrogant. Let me not follow the way of destruction, of pride and arrogance that causes me to end up like this. That is the central warning. Um, And it does have a strange conclusion, though. This is, uh, I don't know if you noticed, it has a strange conclusion, the woman in this story is, is actually, in some ways, you know, she's a practicer of this dark magic, which is very bad, which God was very upset about. But she's actually presented kind of as a compassionate person, isn't she? She doesn't want to do the service for Saul. She's skeptical to do it. She doesn't want to do it. She's concerned. She wants to do what is right. But it's really the, the king of Israel who was supposed to be the spiritual leader. He persuades her by deception to do it. She does it. She regrets that she does it. Saul hears the worst news of his entire life, and it says that he throws himself on the ground. And then this woman, right, who's just heard this news that Saul is going to be dead tomorrow, what does she do? She begs him to eat. Isn't that interesting? And why why does this passage include that detail? And friends, I want to help you appreciate this because, uh, you know, she has to really beg him a a little. She's like, no, no, you really need to eat. It's important that you eat. And what's interesting is that, You know, back then, if you were to have a fattened calf, right, that was considered, you know, a sizable possession, right? That was considered like like a decent amount of wealth in order to have. And so she had one that she slaughters for the sake of Saul and his servants, which is a really generous thing to do, right? That's a, that's a, you know, she, keep in mind, by the way, that this woman was unemployed, right? Saul had taken her livelihood. But she had one fattened calf. She slaughters it and then gives it to Saul. And I I was really puzzling over this, saying, God, why is this detail here? And uh, it's interesting because one of the commentators pointed out that uh, the verse 22 that says, Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you. Eat that you may have strength to go on your way. That that language is almost identical or very similar, at least, to the language of John 1330, right, where Jesus is at the Last Supper. And uh, it says that after Judas had the morsel of bread, he went out, right? So, here's Saul who says, you know, when you have the morsel of bread, then you can go out. And John 1330, when Judas had the morsel of bread, he went out. And you know, I ask this question, why is, why is this detail in the passage? I mean, it is compassionate of the woman. It is generous. Um, it is a mercy. Uh, you know, commentators point out that what she's doing is really serving him his last meal, right? Like an inmate on death row gets to have a last meal, and she kind of goes all out for him. She slaughters the, the, she slaughters the one fattened calf that she had. She bakes bread. She gives it to him. It's his last meal. But I think it's something a little bit more than that. Right? I think that what God is doing in Scripture is he is pointing forward to the last meal of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? As, he, as he has his last meal, right, what's going to happen to Jesus? Right? And of course, Jesus couldn't be more different than Saul. Right? Where Saul's heart was, was always hard and Jesus always had a heart that was just like the Lord's. Right? He was always faithful. He never acted in pride. He always did his Father's will. But the way that the gospel story will pan out is that Jesus will ultimately be unjustly convicted and he will meet his death in the context of God's silence, right? Where Jesus, I love if, if you, I don't know any of you kids have the Jesus Bible storybook, right? Jesus Bible is great stuff, right? If you need a recommendation for a book. And Jesus Bible storybook actually really does a good job of, the, of Jesus on the cross where it talks about Jesus crying out to God, to God, is silence. That God does, that God does not answer him in his day of trouble, as Jesus says, Why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned away from me? Why have you treated me like you treated Saul? I don't deserve that. Right? And that is the scandal of the gospel, is it not? That the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect one, he lives the life that, that should have been lived, but he gets the treatment of Saul. Why? Friends, so that you, kids, so that you can receive absolute unequivocal pardon today. Right? You've, you've messed with evil. You've messed with sorcery. You've, you've gotten involved in, in all kinds of bad things. Maybe some of you have done things even worse than that. Right, the message of the gospel is that today you can be 100 percent pure, holy, and righteous in God's sight. That when God looks at you and all of the all of the stuff that you've done, all of the bad things that have gone down in your life, He will say, "I love you," and He will think no differently of you than He thinks of His Son Jesus. Right, because. Scripture says that the righteousness of Christ will be imputed to you. That you will be righteous in his sight. That he will answer you in the day of trouble. That he will, not, he will not give you silence when you seek him. Right? That you can cry out to the Lord and you can open your Bible and say, Lord, would you speak to me? And he gives you the promise where he says, yes, I will. Right? And if you're living and breathing today, it is not too late to turn back to God. It is not too late to say, God... I want to go in the path I'm going. I want to cry out to you. And, and I want to talk to, you know, adults, if you you don't pray anymore, right? If you feel like God is effectively silent, right? If you feel something this morning, you're feeling that because God is is reaching out to you. And he's saying, I'm here to speak to you. And because of Christ, you can be absolutely forgiven. And you can come sit at my table. You can tell me what's going on and I will pour out my Holy Spirit to you. I will share my heart with you, right? And what would be a good thing to do today? Well, a good thing to do would be to start telling God the things that you're experiencing. And and I would just like to recommend, just start by reading one Psalm a day. Just say, God, speak to me in one Psalm a day. I, I counseled this person I was talking about earlier. I said, you know what, just read one Psalm a day. That's all you have to do. I just, just do that. Just say, and then as you do it, combine it with prayer and say, God, speak to me in Your Word this morning. Address, address in my life the thing, the crises that I cannot put back together. Right, the guitar that was set on fire, God can put that back together. God can make all things new. He can make all things right. So we're going to come to this table uh, and celebrate that. But let me pray for us. Father God, we do praise you. We do love you. Uh, do pray, oh God, for uh, our kids here today, that you would keep them from evil, uh, that you would not allow them to be uh, taken in by the ways of darkness and Satan. Lord, I pray for each of us that you would renew in us a times of vibrant prayer, that the scriptures would be real to us and come alive. We do pray this uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.